Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So today we, we are in the final installment <clears throat> excuse me, of our Greatest Story Ever series. This has been a, a, uh, a, a theologically deep um, time for us in the Word. It's laying good foundations for us um, in terms of our understanding of, <clears throat> of the gospel and our understanding of the story of God. We talk about this idea of the meta-narrative in the Bible, and that's kind of the big picture story. And we are, when we understand the big picture story, uh, we understand, um, we see the, the gospel begin to emerge in that. And so we, we started um, this series by looking at creation and, and, uh, and, and the creation, creation mandate. Uh, <clears throat> we, we looked at the fall uh, and, and the consequences of the fall. We also uh, looked at the establishment of Israel as a nation. Um, we looked at how God uh, then brought about redemption um, and through, through Jesus Christ. And today we are looking at this idea of us being a new creation, a new um, creation. I was, um, I was reflecting on this uh, this morning must have been about five or five something a.m. <clears throat> when uh, my children ran into our room and started jumping on our bed, and uh, and uh, you, you know you know when you when you when you that 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 like late or is it is an early morning like sweet sleep when you just kind of like starting to hit those strides you know you're like you're really getting into it, and then the devil wakes up your children. <laughs> it was it was that it was that time. And then, and then they, and they're ju- jumping on the bed and, they, and they're playing um, and they begin to play this game um, where the, the floor is lava. And so they need to be on the bed and avoid touching the floor. And so they, they're having uh, loads of fun uh, with this. And uh, as I'm listening, so the, my, my daughter, uh, the eldest, she, I guess she gets tired of being on the bed. So she jumps off and she declares that she now has uh, lava skin. She has lava skin, which means she... Um, she can now uh, step on the floor, and she, she won't be harmed by the lava. And, and then she goes on to say, oh, but don't worry, she says to, to, her, to her brother, don't worry, I'm going to buy you some lava skin also. She buys him lava skin, he puts it on, and then he can now also um, get, get off the bed and, be, uh, and, and, uh, and step on the lava without being incinerated. And, and I thought to myself as I lay there, um, wow, that, that is revelation. Right, that is, and I loved it because I, I guess I was thinking through the word, and I was thinking through this idea of being a new creation, um, and and I understand that I understood in that moment um, that when when you become a new creation, how you interact with your environment is different, and what used to affect you uh, doesn't affect you anymore, or it affects you differently. And so where lava used to be an irritant or a danger to you, when you get that lava skin, you become immune to the lava. And that's what it means to become a new creation. 
And so when somebody around you turns around and says, you know, you are different than what you used to be. Uh, you, when you meet somebody that you used to relate with and they say, man, something has changed about you. You know you have become a new creation because old things have fallen away and you've become to interact with your I- environment in a new way. And you can turn around and you can say to that person, yes, I am different. I am not the person that you used to know. I am a new creation. And, 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 and when you used to know me, I didn't have lava skin. And so, and so when the lava came around me, I panicked. Uh, and when it touched me, I, re- I responded. Um, and if it threatened me, I grew, I grew anxious. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and I would panic and I would run around and, uh, and it, it threatened to kill me. And, and I was not immune to it, but now I am immune. Now I have lava skin, and what that means is I I react different uh, to the lava than you do. The lava doesn't have any power over me anymore. Amen. And so when the enemy was waking me up this morning, he didn't know that he was giving me revelation. (laughs) I I was thinking about this concept of um, the idea of fruit. Um, when, when, when you have a fruit that is in season, and, and I don't know what your favorite fruit is, but when you, you have a, a fruit and you, you, you take a bite of that fruit, when it is in season and it is ripe, it is just the, the right amount of juiciness and sweetness, and, and it, is, it is delightful, is it not? And, and, and you, you are blessed by it. And it is, the credit is to the fruit, right? You, you look at this and you go, wow, that's a good, that's a tasty fruit. But when you think about the process of getting that fruit into your hand, the cultivating of land, the sowing of seed, de-weeding and harvesting and packaging and transport and all the things that go into it, well, that's credit to the farmer, isn't it? So that's not credit to the fruit. And so when we, when we are delightful in our spaces, it's good for us to be that fruit. It's good for us to delight. It's good for us to bless. And it's also good for us to be able to take a compliment. It's okay. We don't need to be weird when somebody says, you, man, I love your character. Or I see that, that patience and perseverance, the faith you showed in that moment. Those, those, are things, those are credits to the fruit, but the power of testimony is in us being able to say, but let me tell you how I got to this point. Let me tell you what's been built into me. Let me tell you the process that got me to where I am today. And the power of testimony is in this, is in that the, the hearer is encouraged because what they realize is, okay, so I don't have to be brilliant to have that kind of faith or to have that kind of character or to be like you. I don't need to be brilliant or have stuff figured out. There's an inheritance that you stepped into and it, it sets you on a transformative journey. That's what you're telling me. And so if I want to see that outcome in my life, then I step into that inheritance and that's all it takes. And that's the power of us sharing our testimony um, and, uh, and giving credit, uh, not just to the fruit, but to the farmer. Amen. As, as we look at the story of, um, of new creation, I want to package it uh, within this narrative of uh, of, of gardens that I see being weaved through the scriptures. And so my, my title for our sermon uh, this morning is Three Gardens and the New Jerusalem. 
three gardens and the new Jerusalem, a meta-narrative of the new creation. I was very excited when that, that, when that title dropped into my, into my spirit. It felt, felt like a book title. I was like, okay, Lord, I think, I think we're onto something. I think, so pray for me. Maybe there'll be a book this time next year. <laughs> so, so understanding who we are as a new creation is so vital and so important in us living out um, our identity, understanding how we got to be where we are is so vital in us giving glory um, to God for making us a new creation. And so we start um, our story in the first garden. The first garden uh, is the Garden of Eden. And so man has been created. In fact, God has created the world uh, and has created uh, within the world this garden and has Put, created a man and has put the man in, in, uh, in, in this garden and has begun to interact. And so, and he brings a woman into the garden and they begin to, to relate. And so, God has got a plan for how he's going to roll out the populating of the entirety of the world. But we know that it doesn't take too long before this garden, which was a perfect garden, creation was perfect and perfectly created, perfectly reflecting the heart of God, but it was corrupted by the seed and the seed of man. And man was corrupted, right? So man was created and he was created in the image of God, but sin came into the world and corrupted man, corrupted the seed of man. And so we find this first garden, which is a perfect garden with a corrupted seed. And in, in, in Genesis 3, we read that from verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, say that part with me, he said, Did God really say? Yeah. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and read that last part with me, and you must not touch it or you will die. This is the dialogue that, 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 uh, that Eve is having with the serpent, and there's a, a, a few things that I want to point out in there. I don't know at which point it should have dawned to her that the very fact that she was having a conversation with a serpent, maybe some red flags should be going off. But okay, I'm not going to get into that too much today. Um, there she is. She's talking to the serpent. And, uh, and, and she begins to, to lay out, this is, this is the mandate. This is what God had said. And the enemy says this to her. The serpent says this. Did God really say. It was the first time that Satan said that to a created being, but it wouldn't be the last. From that day up until this morning, he has been whispering that into our ears. Did God really say? You start out believing and in faith, and then the enemy comes and he whispers in your quiet moments, but did God really say. You're excited up until something uh, doesn't seem to be working out the way you had thought that it would work. So what does the enemy do? He comes and he whispers into your ear, did God really say? You're in love and can't get enough of one another until you can't stomach one another. And then God comes into, Satan comes into that situation. He says, did God 
really say you're in faith and you planted that business and you went out because God, you felt like you had a word from God until, until there's a mix-up or a shake-up or something happens, there's some challenges, Satan comes in and he says, did God really say? It's his number one weapon. If he can get you to doubt the goodness of God, then he can get you to corrupt the harvest that God is bringing about in your garden. Because you see, from that moment on, sin crept in. Why? Because from that moment onwards, there was a question in the back of the mind of of human beings. Is God really good? Does he really have it figured out? What is he withholding from us? God must know that if we eat of this fruit, we will know something that he doesn't want us to know. He's probably holding out on the power. He likes to be in control. He likes to have the power. And if we eat the fruit, we'll have the power. We, we have this narrative that begins. It starts as a gnawing feeling in the back of our minds. And it's that question, did God really say? It's the question that corrupts our harvest. The, the, the interesting thing, as, as we read on, is that Eve in her defense of, um, of, of God, uh, gives, gives this narrative. No, no, no. Listen, God, God has given us everything. God has given us everything. He's given us this entire garden. He's just said that we shouldn't eat of this fruit. In fact, he has said we shouldn't even touch it. Here's the problem with that. This is, this is chapter 3 uh, uh, from verse 1. If we go back just a few verses up in chapter 2, in, uh, in uh, verse, from verse 15, when we're learning about the creation of man, it says that then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. What did God say? Don't eat from this tree. If you eat from this tree, you will die. What did Eve say to the serpent? God said, we mustn't eat of this tree. We must not even touch it. When did God say we mustn't touch it? Saints, adding to the word of God is corruption. They added to the word of God. At some point, somebody decided. And my, my suspicion was, Adam, when he was thinking about this, added a little bit of spice. Uh, because when he, was, he, when he was being created and God was giving him the instruction, Eve wasn't around. And, and, then, and then God brought Eve in. And so, and so Adam had to figure out how to keep this woman in check. And to make sure that she doesn't ruin the good thing they've got going here. You know? So listen, here, here are the rules. It's nice. We've got the penthouse view. We've got here, here's, here are the rules. Don't, don't eat the, in fact, don't even touch it. That's what God said. God said, don't, near, go, don't go near it. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. It's not what God said. It was culture that was communicated as doctrine. It was our good ideas, our good intentions that we, that we, we, we clothe as the word of God to give them authority. We do that, don't we? We create things. Even within the church, we have things. We have do's and don'ts. Don't you dare do that. Oh, don't, don't, 
nothing in the word of God about it, but don't you, hey, don't, that says the Lord. Why? Our good intentions, we're trying really hard to give some authority to stuff, and so we attach God to it. It's corruption. It's corruption. And it leads to sin. Because what happened? If, you, if the enemy, uh, what's her name? Eve. <laughs> Sorry. Eve. Don't read anything into that, please. That, that's, <laughs> there was nothing to that. Stop it. <laughs> Eve, when she was saying, we are not even supposed to touch the tree, little did she know, she was trying to give like this defense, you know, little did she know that she was walking straight into the enemy's trap. Because what would the enemy have done then? It's not written in the book, but, um, but this is my imagination. From the book of imaginations, right? So not even supposed to touch it. And what does the enemy say? Are you sure? Because I touched it and nothing happened to me. I tell you what, don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. You're right, you're right, you're right. Don't eat the fruit. Just, just touch the tree. Just, just see what happens. Just touch the tree. Fine, fine, fine. Nothing happened. Ah, God must be a liar. It's a short step from there to eating the fruit. Um, because we creep towards it, don't we? And so the perfect garden was corrupted um, by a corrupt seed. And, and uh, generations uh, later, God would bring the people of Israel out of Egypt and into uh, Canaan, into the land of promise. And I want to put this before you as a a shadow and a type of the garden. And this is uh, in Exodus, the description um, of, this, of this garden. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. God is bringing uh, the people into this promised land, into this garden, but it's a corrupt garden. It's a corrupted garden. How do we know that it's a corrupted garden? Because of the harvest that it has brought forth. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites are not the people of God. They're not what God had in mind. They are not the fruit that God had planted. They are corrupt people who are worshippers of idols. And they practice things that are not in line with the heart of God. And so God brings the people of Israel in and plants them into this garden as a seed. But the people themselves, the people of Israel, are already a corrupt seed into a corrupt garden. The harvest that comes from that is limited, if not corrupt. And this, this idea of this garden is, is like this suspended garden that looks back and it also looks ahead. It looks back in judgment and in mourning of, of, the, of the garden that used to be, much like when the people of Israel had been taken into, into exile, this would have been many generations after this, had been taken into exile, the, the temple of Solomon had been destroyed. When they come back into the land, they rebuild the temple. But those who saw the former 
temple, the scriptures tell us, they wept and they mourned because they knew the glory of the former temple and that this one paled in comparison. And so when they come into this corrupt version of, of, the, of, of, uh, of, of this garden, if those who had kept up the stories of the garden, of where they had come from, would have wept and mourned to see this shadow of what they had before the fall. And so there's a judgment in and of itself. It is also a, a point of hope that looks ahead and is a promise of something to come. That this garden is, is fruitful, it is bountiful, it is described as a place that is flowing with milk and honey, and yet it is limited and corrupt. And so therefore we know that there will come a time when God will bring us into a garden that is not corrupt, that bears a harvest that is pure. And so they come into the space and it is a, a, a suspended garden that is hailing back to the past and yearning for the future. And we fast forward many more generations and, and, and Jesus comes into the world. And, and Jesus comes into the world, he, he lives the life that we were supposed to have lived. He shows us what it, is, what it looks like to live a life that is completely surrendered to God. And, and then he goes and he dies on the cross. So he dies our death for us so that the wrath of God would be completely uh, uh, dispensed over him and that he would take all of that on himself and nothing left over for us. And so he dies on the cross. And, and in John 19, this is the description at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a what? A garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And, and, and we've seen, even as we've tracked through the series, that, that the power of a seed is in its death, isn't it? That, that a seed that is in your hand is, is not worth much, but sow that seed, allow it to die, and it bears a harvest. And so we see a, a, a seed that is called Jesus being planted and, and, and dying and being planted in this garden that is a corrupted garden, but because he is a pure seed, he purifies even that garden. And because he is a pure seed, the harvest of that garden is pure. So every other garden was either corrupt or had a corrupted seed. So the harvest was limited or corrupt. In this garden, the perfect seed was sown. And, and, and from that point on, up until the time where Jesus will return, we, we are in a process of, of, of being made like him. And so we introduce these two concepts in Christian faith or in theology called justification and sanctification. Justification is what happened on the day of your salvation. The day you believed and surrendered your life to Jesus, justification. And an easy way to remember it, and this is how it was taught to me even in my young days of being a Christian, justification, just as if I had never sinned. I'm justified, just as if I had never sinned. That's how God sees me in that moment. That's why, by the way, Jesus could turn to the thief on the cross who had recognized him as the Messiah and say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Because upon his confession, he received salvation and was justified. God judged him 
as he would judge Christ. Sanctification is what happens from that day until the day that we meet Jesus face to face. It it is the process of us becoming more and more like Christ. Scripture describes us as a bride who, who is being prepared for the return of the bridegroom. And so, and so Jesus, when he came into the world, with the, his work on the cross, he betrothed us to himself. And so we are the betrothed of Christ. And there is coming a wedding day when, we, when, when, when Christ consummates that betrothal. But until that day is preparation, we are being sanctified. We are being prepared. We are being purified. We are being made and formed in the image of Christ. We are learning what it looks like to be a new creation. Much like if I was walking down the road and somebody walked up to me and said they'd been looking for me for years and they finally found me because, as it turns out, I belong to a royal family. And there's a whole inheritance waiting for me. And I'm going, you know what? I, I had a feeling. <laughs> I always knew, man. I always knew. And, and they take me to the palace and give me the rings and the, and, and the jewelry and the, and the robes and the clothes. And, and, and I walk into my inheritance. From that day going forward, all is mine. I, I have the inheritance. I am royal. But I have no idea what it means to be royal. So I am going to go on a process of learning the ways of royalty. From the day you got saved, all is yours, the inheritance, you are justified. You just had no idea what it meant to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. But he's taking you on a journey. And that's why when we're in community and somebody is, is, uh, is falling short or somebody is in sin, we don't rain down on them like a ton of, like a, uh, a ton of bricks. We remind them who they are. We say, remember the ways of royalty. What you did just now was what you, what you used to do out there. The ways of royalty are different, and you need to be, to be reminded of what that means. Jesus describes it this way to his disciples at the, at the Last Supper. They, they, they've, they've had the meal. They've had uh, a discourse. And, and, uh, and uh, Jesus then stands up and he, and he wraps his clothes around him and he picks up uh, a bowl and some water and a towel and he begins to wash their feet, begins to wash the, the feet of the disciples. Uh, and and, and uh, they, they're all horrified. Uh, but it's only Peter who says something. You know, they're all thinking it, like, Jesus, you're being weird. Why are you doing this? The master is not supposed to do this. You, 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 you are, you're reducing yourself um, to, to a level of humility or humiliation that is not appropriate for you. And, and so when he comes to, to Peter, Peter says this. He came to Simon Peter and said, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. 
No, said Peter, no, you shall never wash my feet. Peter says, I will never allow you to stoop that low. Never, not me. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter says, okay, well then, Lord, (laughs) everything, wash everything. (laughs) Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're okay. You're clean. I I have cleansed you. Your body is clean. You don't need for me to wash your body. However, you do need me to wash your feet. Why? Because you're... When you go out of this place, when we leave this auditorium at the end of the service, we go out into our context. We're reminded of the challenges. When we come in and it's it's, the presence of the Lord is here, sometimes we we forget and we walk out and we remember. We pick up our burden at the door where we left it. Sidestep it when you walk out. Just leave it there. (laughs) But we we do that, right? We pick up our stuff. We go through the week. We, 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 We... pick up the dust off the road, we walk into the mud, we, we, we go into places we're not supposed to, we think of things or we look at things, we do things, we say things that we're not supposed to. What is that? It's the process of the dust and the mud and the grime that gets on our feet because of the daily living and daily walking outside and on the roads. And we need to come back and for Jesus to wash our feet. We don't get saved every day. We don't need him to wash our bodies every day, but we do need him to wash our feet. We need him to wash us of the interactions or those things that have attached themselves to us. And and, and it's something that we do in the context of community. He didn't take them to a private room to wash their feet. They did it together so that even after he was gone, they would continue to wash one another's feet. They would continue to help one another to dust off and to remove the dust of the world. And that is what we do together. We help one another. We remove, I remove for you the dust of the world. You remove for me the dust of the world. And by the way, what happens if we don't wash our feet, if we don't let Jesus continuously wash our feet? Well, right at the end there, it says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone is clean. If you don't wash the dust and the grime off your feet. You become unclean. You become susceptible to being used by the enemy. So we need to be diligent and intentional in the washing of our feet. In Revelation, we, so we've talked about the, the first garden, the Garden of Eden. We, we, we spoke about the second garden, the garden in suspension, the promised land. We, we spoke about the third garden, the garden in which Jesus was buried, the, the corrupted garden with the perfect seed. And the perfect seed has now borne a harvest. And what is that harvest? In, in Revelation 21, we get a, a, a glimpse. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared, there's that word again, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And, and I realized that, I, that as I've been processing that my thought was that when God has, has redeemed all things, it's a reset button. He presses the reset button and we go back to the garden. And the Lord said to me, no, that's not what happens. It's not a reset button. It's progress. We started with a garden that was supposed to fill the world. God is still about that mandate. He has called us to fill the world. The outworking of that garden is a harvest. It starts with the garden and it ends with the city. God is a God of growth. The kingdom is a kingdom of progress. What starts as a seed becomes a plant, but bears fruit, becomes a garden, becomes a city. And the promise is that what, where we have mourning, where we have pain, where we have separation today, when we are faithful with the process of preparation, the outworking of it, oneness with God, but also no more mourning, no death, no crying, no pain. Why? Because the old order has passed away. The old order, the old man, what does it look like for us to be a new creation? The old order has passed away. The system that we used to use, we use no longer. The reactions that I used to have, I have no longer. The thought patterns that I used to have, I have no longer. The places that I used to go for comfort, I go to them no longer. The people that I used to hang out with and do things with, I do no longer. The, the old things have passed away. The idols I used to worship, I worship no longer. That is what it means for us to be a new creation. And at the appointed time, when, we, when, when, when Christ has, done his, has finished his work in us, we are that beautiful bride prepared. And when the, bri when the preparation of the, of the bride is complete, the bridegroom comes back and he reunites and the wedding feast is beautiful. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 16, I want you to read this. Read this with me. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That, that scripture is telling us that God is reconciling us to him which tells us that we have been separated from him. The gospel tells us that in the relationship between God and myself, in the relationship between you and God, you are the offending party. 
you are the one who fell short. You are the one who did wrong. You are the one who is the betrayer and the adulterer. You are the one who rejected God. You are the one who is guilty. And God is the offended party. Yet God being the offended party provides reconciliation. A way for us to be reconciled. And he, he reveals that to us in the scriptures. He also provides a reconciler. The one who will mediate between us and him. And that is Jesus. And Jesus mediates. And the way he mediates is to represent God, to say Jesus is the perfect representation of God. That's what scripture tells us. That, that Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. In Hebrews it says he's the radiance of God. That means when we see him, we have seen the Father. When we experience him, we have experienced the Father. And when we believe in who he is and who he says he is, we have also received the Father. And so the reconciling ministry is this. Believe in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and you will be saved. And in the teachings of Scripture tell us this. Live a life that is reflecting of the fact that you are a believer. Let your fruit, when we taste your fruit, let your fruit be delightful and delicious and a blessing to us so that you are not called a hypocrite on the day of judgment and I want to pray for you if you are ready to confess that you are the one who did wrong it is your fault and yet God is making a way for you to reconcile with him And if you're ready to pray and to receive that, or for me to, to pray with you, please raise your hand as a recognition in community, but also to God. That, yeah, that's me. I want to I wanna pray that prayer. I want to I acknowledge my guilt. I'm guilty. I'm out of relationship. I want to come back into relationship. I want to have a relationship with God. You may feel like you've had a relationship with God before, but you know you need to reconcile. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need that washing of the feet. Or maybe you've never, ever made this decision before. I don't mind which category you fall into. Would you go ahead and raise your hand if I'm praying for you? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you wash our feet today. That you cleanse us of all the things that have attached themselves onto us because we have made ourselves of the world. That we are cleansed in you. And those who are in the room who have not received your cleansing, that they would receive your cleansing today. They would receive your salvation today, the cleansing of the body. 
and that they would be made a new creation. And that if, if there's anybody who is, who, is, who is living according to the old order of things, that you would bring them into newness. Thank you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.